You're listening to Communication and Marriage, part two of a three-part series from Ignite, a marriage conference hosted by Calvary Chapel of Crook County and taught by Pastor Jeff Stewart from Calvary Chapel, Pomona Valley, California. If you have your Bibles ready, here's Pastor Jeff. Okay, this morning we're going to talk about communication. And um, as I told you last night, I've done, I've done hundreds of, of counseling sessions um, and I could count on one hand, maybe a couple of fingers, the number of times that communication has not been a major problem um, by the time it gets to counseling. Um, I, I always think it's funny, like even some of you did it last night, but when we did this at my church and we had the, you know, the stool up front and I would just be up here, people would grab their sheets and like slip them in the middle because they don't want me to know what their answers are, you know? And, um, so we're kind of like that. And some of you like, you know, fold them in half and stuff. And we had a lot of people fold them in half. One lady, you know, fold like eight times. And I told her like, you're the only one who did that. So now I know exactly, you know, which answers are yours. But, um, it's, I think we're kind of like that as Christians. Like we might have some problems, but we don't really want anybody to know about it. And this is kind of like why I'm doing this, you know, rather than just teaching and maybe sharing some examples about me and Karen, you write down some notes, is because by the time Christian couples are ready to admit they need marital counseling, they are screwed up. I mean, they are really screwed up. And a lot of times it's 50-50, man, like if if they're going to make it or not. You know, and and I can give them what I think is great advice and then very rarely... Maybe never have I gone home from a, from an initial marital counseling and just told Karen like that was amazing. I, you know, man, they're you know they want to work on it and they love each other and I really think things are going to be okay. Now I go home and she says, "How did that go?" And I go, "They could be divorced by tomorrow morning." I don't, you know, that was that was horrible. It was horrible for me because before they would come and talk to me, they've made such a mess of their relationship that now it's like they brought in this super duty, hefty bag of crap and dumped it on my desk. You know, and and I'm thinking like, you know, when it was a doggy bag of crap, couldn't you come in? You know, that would have been a lot easier cleanup, you know, Um, but we don't do that. We don't, we don't want people to know we have problems. We don't want people to know we're having issues. And so that's sort of why I came up with this, to anonymously let you say some things um, that may be your issues. And today's questions are going to ask some pointed things about your relationship. And this is only going to be beneficial if you're, you know, if you're um, truthful. I forgot to tell you last night, these are not being graded. They're not being checked for biblical accuracy. They're not being, um, you know, cross-referenced with Dobson's finest work. Just put your most honest answer. That, that's what we want. And the reason I want to do it is I want to interact with people before they get to the point that things are just trashed. And, but, but we don't do that. It's a last resort. It's like, I hate you so much now. Let's go talk to the pastor. That's is pretty much how it goes. And that's, that's not a good thing to do. And communication is always like 99 plus percent of the time a huge problem. In fact, communication is directly related to everything else. It's impossible to have a spiritual relationship if you don't communicate with each other. It's impossible. We can't talk about the Bible. You're not going to talk about praying. You're not going to talk about ministering to other people if you don't communicate. You're not going to have good sex if you don't communicate. And we'll talk about that this afternoon. You're not going to have a friendship if you don't communicate. You're not going to relate well to others if you don't communicate. It is 
absolutely imperative to have good communication. Absolutely imperative. And it filters into everything that we do as married people. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about communication to us as Christians. Um, and I think that, um, that we're going to look at some verses this morning that are just sort of written to Christians. I have this, um, you know, this thing that I've sort of discovered. I told you last night, I like to look at non-marriage passages and apply them to married people. And one of the things that I've discovered is that if we would just treat each other as a husband and wife, the way the Bible says we ought to treat everybody, every marriage in this room, including mine would improve. Everyone, if we just treated each other the way the Bible says we're supposed to treat all other Christians. But the same thing I said to you about praying for people. I can be patient and long-suffering and put up with people's idiosyncrasies and I can smile and I can be encouraging. But if, you know, if Karen has moved my toothbrush... I I, uh, obviously contort my face in some weird way and yell at her, where's my toothbrush? You know, I would never do stuff like that to people at church, you know? I would never have a hard day and snap at somebody who came in, you know, to, to... to drop off a donation or to clean the church, or but, but I'll do it to her. If we could simply treat each other the way that the Bible says we're supposed to treat all Christians, every one of our marriages would improve, you know? And, that, and, and I think I want to say that if we would communicate the way that we're told to communicate as Christians, it would be beneficial. We're going we're gonna to open to two places, but first I want you to go to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6 is a phenomenal verse about speaking that I think has um, great ramifications in marriage. Colossians 4, verse 6 says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. You see that last little phrase there? that you may know how you ought to answer each one. If we could possess this as spouses, this would be phenomenal. How many fights, how many disagreements, how many hurt feelings, how many disappointments have come about because we don't know how we ought to answer. We say the wrong thing. We respond in the wrong way. We, We say the right thing, but it's at the wrong time. We say the wrong thing and it's at the wrong time. We say nothing and that's, you know, and that's the wrong thing. And, and um, you know, I, I only know intimately what it's like to be a husband. And ladies, I know that sometimes guys can feel like we can't win. You know, it's like we try to say this and that wasn't right. And then we try to say this and then that wasn't right. And then we try to say nothing and somehow this is the most hurtful. Right? And so for me as a husband to open up to Colossians 4 6 and read that you may know how you ought to answer, it immediately says to me, I need that for Karen. I need to know what to answer her, what to say to her at at the right time. I need to know when is the time to put my arms around her, when is the time to, to challenge her, when is the time to encourage her, when's the time to be silent? You know? When's the time to say yes and when's the time to say no and And what an amazing thing this is. Now, he says there in Colossians 4, let your speech always be with grace. And I think sort of the the overall um, answer to knowing how you, you ought to answer, knowing what to say and when to say it, 
is when it is filled with grace. If I go back and look at myself, it's very easy for me to look at Karen and think, look, you don't even know what you want me to say. How am I supposed to know what to say? Right? And this is a lot of problem in marriage. Like if I, if I focus on her and I just, and I can do this because I'm logical and I talk a lot and um, I, you know, could probably be on the Olympic arguing team if there was such a thing. And so I can do this very clearly and I can just say to her, like, look, you're irrational and you're irrational because of this and, and this and this and you're being emotional. And that doesn't make sense. And here you told me you wanted this and here you told me you wanted that. And by the time I'm done, she'll just surrender. You know, she'll, she'll just tap out basically, you know, I have her in a verbal arm lock and she, and she's out, but that doesn't solve anything. It doesn't help at all. It isn't how I should have answered her. And if I look back on those times, I may have uh, expressed my frustration to her. I may have shown her something that she did that, that, you know, if we were just to sit down logically is unfair, looks unfair, comes across unfair. The one thing I didn't do is I didn't speak graciously to her. You know, I, I, I didn't do that. If you want to impart grace to somebody, your focus has to be on them. And, and when we're having these things, my focus is usually on me. It's on getting my point across. It's on explaining what I'm thinking or what I'm feeling or what I'm hearing. And if my focus is on her, it's on her actual words so that I can sort of take them apart and use them to somehow win, you know? But it's, but it's not on her. It's not on... Um, what, what does she need? What is the best thing that I can say to her? What would benefit her? What would be gracious? It's not gracious to, to pull apart somebody's speech, point out everything about it that's wrong, package it back up and give it to them. That's not gracious. It might be right. It might be, you know, it might win you an argument. It might, but it's not gracious. That's not gracious. You know, and, and there've been times that I've practiced this and I've said to Karen, like, sweetie, I don't, um, I don't understand what you're saying. Or, you know, are you saying this? You know, are you trying to tell me this? And she'll say, you know, like, no. And then, well, are you trying to tell me this? And, and she'll, you know, she, maybe she'll say no. And, and, but eventually we'll get it, you know? And, and my thing is, like, I've been trying to, to tear apart her actual words instead of trying to figure out what she is trying to say. Because if the words that she's saying don't make sense... There's something there that she's trying to communicate to me. And because my speech isn't seasoned with grace and I don't know how to answer, we might, you, we might finish this discussion and I might feel pretty good about it, but whatever she was trying to communicate to me in the beginning has left unresolved. It's still there. It's been pushed down by my logic and by you know the sheer overwhelming number of words that I've thrown at her, but it's still there. And so I go away feeling pretty good and, and, you know, we might even pray and, and everything might come across and she might, you know, she might not even know what it is, but trust me, it's still there and it's gonna, it's gonna come out again, you know? And one of the things that I've tried to learn, and sometimes I'm good at this and sometimes I'm not, is what's gracious for me is to, is to put a, put aside that part of me that, that is always looking at it from my perspective. Like, well, well, you're saying that to me, but you know, that doesn't make any sense. And I, and, and to just think, all right, Jeff, she's trying to communicate something. It, it, maybe it's this, I don't understand it, but this is an opportunity for me to try to understand what she's saying to me. And it may be an investment, you know, and I, I don't know if anybody else is like this, but Karen is classic for deciding that the best time to talk is 
you know, when 1230 at night when we're laying in bed and I have to get up at five, you know, and um, and and this, you know, this is when we talk. And, um, you know, I may say this later. I probably should save it till later. But one of the things I discovered is that, you know, laying in bed in the dark and talking is actually quite effective. And you know why it's effective? Because you can't see each other's face. So I can just kind of go. And it doesn't affect the conversation at all. But if I do that in the daylight, you know, we got problems. She can, she can roll her eyes and she can, you know, you can't exhale air very loudly. Or then you have to lie. I was just yawning. I was just yawning. You know, you can't, you know, you can't, you can't sigh. You can't blow air out. But you can make whatever face you want. It's actually quite phenomenal, you know, because sometimes you need to have those. I need to be able to have those reactions. She needs to be able to have those reactions and not and not have them derail the conversation. So I've I've you know, I've looked up at the sky. I've just I put my hand on my head like, dear God, why are we doing this now? This is accomplishing nothing. You could you could see it all over me if the lights were on, but they're not on. But she she keeps talking, and and then I talk a little bit, and then she talks, and eventually we resolve something. We actually communicate. Our marriage is made better. And I think, man, why was I acting like an idiot in the beginning? And what it's kind of taught me is my job when she brings something to me is is not to defend myself, but it's to try and understand what she says. That's what it is. So that you may know how you ought to answer. And there are a lot of, you know, applications for her, you know, that, that her job is not to fix me. It's not to make me presentable. You know, it's not, it, it, except of course, to loan me makeup when I have a big zit, apparently. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's not to, um, you know, teach me manners in public. It's not to treat me like a little kid right? Her job's not, those aren't the ways that she ought to answer me. And, and by the way, ladies, if you want to say something to your husband about how he behaves in public, you need to do it in private. It it is absolutely, um, it absolutely, what's the right word? I I don't have the right word. Um, I hate it when I see ladies talking to their husband, like he's one of their kids. I, I, I absolutely hate it. It's, yeah, it is. It's demeaning. It's disrespectful. It's not honoring. I also hate it when I see husbands talking to their wives like she's their slave. You know, it's also demeaning. It's dishonoring. It lacks respect. Um, and, and I know where it comes from. It comes from a lack of communication. It comes from not being able to sit down and talk about those things when you should, which is when just the two of you are together. You know, honey, when you slobbered on your shirt in front of my mom, that wasn't cool. <laughs> You know, that, you know, babe, when every other wife at the place got up and got their husband a plate of food and you wouldn't do it, it made me feel like an idiot. You know, you need to have those conversations, not in front of me, you know, or anybody else. You know, you, you don't do that kind of stuff in, um, in public. And maybe ladies for you, a lot of you are unlike me and Karen, because a lot of guys are not super verbal. You know, they have those stats that who knows where they come from but you know that women say thousands and thousands of words in a day and you know men say hundreds right and I've never really paid attention to those stats because they're not true for Karen and I you know I say a lot more words than she does and and you know but that is generally true and ladies maybe you have some really good things to say to your husband 
And maybe part of knowing how you ought to answer includes knowing when you ought to answer. You know, when's the time to speak to him? When's the time? I, I know um, from having to, ha- to talk to people about things that they may or may not want to hear about that you should always, if you're springing something on somebody, you should always include building them up. You should always include telling them what you love about them, what you appreciate about them. You know, I've had really difficult, heavy conversations with people about their sin and about what's going to be the consequence of their sin. And I always want to be gracious. I always want to tell them, listen, these are the things I love about you. You know, this is what I appreciate about you. But here's what we came to talk about today. I don't want them to think that, that I hate them, that I've cut them off, that they disgust me. And, and you certainly don't want your spouse to feel this way. And ladies, if, if you have things to bring to your husband, um, you know, this is a wonderful thing too, graciously. I don't think communicating with him about, and, and I, don't, I don't know if anybody else is like this, but Karen has a very low threshold for embarrassment. A very low threshold for embarrassment. And so, as I told you, she was raised Baptist. Right. And, and I don't I don't know a lot about the Baptist church because we were speaking in tongues and looking down on them at my Assemblies of God church. So I don't I don't know a lot of things about them. But one thing I know that came from Karen's Baptist upbringing and, and I, I have to put a lot of this on her mom, not necessarily on the pastor, but um, it was very, very important to her how she looks in front of other people, what people think about her, what people might say about her. And God's joke to her. She married me who could care less classic story. We were outside and I was, um, you know, I had that roundup thing on the end of the hose. You ever got that? You do on the hose and then you spray the roundup on your weeds. And we have this big hillside and I was spraying it and, and I was climbing. It's a pretty steep hill. And I had it over my shoulder and I went to take a step and I thought it was caught on something and I yanked and it was at the end of the hose and it yanked me back. And I went head over heels down the hill and I got up and I was cussing, and I was hitting the roundup thing on the rocks, right? I said four or five cuss words, and I beat the roundup thing to, the hose will not take anything, and I had to get a new hose. I smashed it down, right? So upset, and Karen said, oh, honey, you know the neighbors might hear you, and I screamed in our backyard, I don't give a S-H-I-T what the neighbors hear, and she was horrified. And you know what? She was right, but it was the wrong time to say it to me. You know? Did you not see what I just did to that roundup uh, thing? Do you not see the blood trickling from the back of my head? This is not the right time to have the fact that you're embarrassed become the most important thing. She didn't ask if I was okay. She didn't say, let me see your cut. She said, honey, the neighbors... You know, and, and, and so we've, we've had a lot of that kind of stuff. Oh, you know what? Oh, and they're going to, you know, and, and the thing about me is when she expresses that, then I just go to greater lengths to embarrass her. You know, so we've had to come to a, you know, we've been good for each other because when she's learned the right time to do it, I always have to say, you know, well, not always, but today, now that she's got rid of some of the petty things, I, I always say to her, you know, you're right. I shouldn't have said that. You know what? I probably shouldn't have. That, that probably was not appropriate now that I'm in my right mind and thinking about it. You're probably right. And for her, it's been beneficial because when we've had real discussions, I've said, who really cares? Who, who are you? Really? These are, you want to impress these people? 
So what you're telling me is we should change this on the outside, but you don't think it's wrong in here. So, so basically these people are more important to you than Jesus, you know, and she's had to say, ah, you know, you're right. You're right. I shouldn't be, you know, I shouldn't be led by that. But if I do it to her in a public poking manner, because she's told me that I'm embarrassing her, it it never goes anywhere good. And we don't have sex at night. And depending on how much we do it, you know, maybe for a couple nights following, I don't know, you know, which, you know, always leads me to a much quicker apology. Um, so, but we'll talk about that this afternoon. Okay, just flip over real quick to Ephesians chapter 4. There's a couple verses, it's just to the left of where you're at, that also deal with communication that, that I want to, I kind of want to talk to you about. This whole passage, Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, is something that I like to teach to married couples. Um, but I just want to deal with a couple verses that have, um, that, uh, that have communication implications. The first one is verse 25, Ephesians 4, 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for your members of one body. It absolutely astounds me how many Christian people think it's okay to lie to their spouse. It absolutely flabbergasts me how, how many people think this is okay. That ladies will tell their kids things like, don't tell dad. Oh, just, just don't tell dad. There, is, there are worse things, but that is a horrible thing to model in front of your child. That it's okay to lie to your spouse. That we're going to hide things from dad. And by the way, husband, if you are an unreasonable, overreacting maniac... You're feeding into that. You have some responsibility for that too. If the reason she's telling don't tell dad is because you're going to rip light fixtures off the wall and throw them out the window, then you have a big part of, of blame in that whole thing. But it, it, it's phenomenal. Oh, you know, um, people that will lie to each other financially, people that will do, there's a guy in my church, a great guy. If you met him, you would love him. He's a phenomenal Christian. He's a great servant. He's an amazing evangelist. He is a friend to everybody. He, he will barbecue for people and he's amazing hospitality. He got into a thing back when the real estate market was booming and he bought about three houses with his brother and, and invested his money and didn't tell his wife. He's been a Christian like 12 years. And then guess what happened? Well, you know what happened. The thing went like this, and he was on the tail end of it. And they lost a house in, that they bought in Florida. And another one that they had probably about an hour or so from us, he was having to go up there all the time and do things to it. And, and eventually he had to sit down and tell his wife. And, and I just told him, bro, are you kidding me? This is like Christianity 101. Would, would, let's read, do not be deceived. Liars will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Christians don't lie. You know, and we do lie, but we repent and we make it right and we're riddled with, you know, knowing that it's wrong, right? It amazes me how, how spouses will lie to each other. They'll lie to each other about what they did, about who they talked to, about what they said, about what they spent, about um, just about all kinds of stuff. And if you're doing that in little bitty white lies or big bold face lies, you need to stop it. That is undermining your marriage. It's like weakening a dam. It will break and it will cause damage. And today, if you're doing that, today you need to say to your spouse, honey, I've been lying to you and here's what I've been lying to you about. I had another guy at church um, and he was a great guy. He was a great husband. He loved his wife and he, and he just, like she was his whole life. 
and she went on a she went on a women's retreat, and I happened to be hanging out with him that day. I think we were playing basketball or something, and we went back to his. It was a court right by his little condo that they lived in, and he got the mail, and he got a credit card bill that she had been hiding from him that had like about twenty two thousand dollars worth of miscellaneous charges, and they were they weren't like you know motels for her and her boyfriend. They were like a seventy dollar sweater. You know, and $200 here and stuff here and there. And then come to find out her dad was slipping her money to pay the bill all, all behind his back, right? And, you know, I think it was the Lord that we were hanging out that day because he was this gentle, loving guy. But we found his button and his button was money. And he wanted to kill her. He went from, she's my entire life, I love her. The sun rises and sets on her to, if she was here right now, I would wrap my fingers around her neck and choke the life out of her. You know, so we were able to pray and she got confronted and then Karen had this talk with her. What are you doing? Your dad's paying the bill? You're lying to your husband? What are you doing? Let's open up to Genesis and read this thing about leaving your parents and cleaving to your spouse. What in the world is going on? It always amazes me. And you know what? It starts out so small, right? Like every kind of lie. You tell one little lie and, you know, then you have to tell another and then you have to tell another and then you have to tell another, right? And that'll happen to me today and that'll happen to you today right? But I cannot let it happen with Karen. I can't. There is one reason not to tell her the truth. And the one reason not to tell her the truth is it's something that I'm doing for her. If I'm planning her a surprise party, if I'm getting her a gift and I want her to be surprised, that's it. There's no other reason not to tell her the truth. And you know, there's things that maybe I think, oh, she doesn't need to know this. And and so I don't tell her, but if she asks me, Then I tell her, listen, I don't think you need to know this. And she might say, all right, don't tell me. But if she says, you know, tell, I'm not going to lie to her. I can't lie to her. She's my wife. And if I lie to her now, it's going to be that much easier to lie to her tomorrow. And it's going to be that much easier to lie to her again and again and again. And I'm just weakening the dam. I'm just putting little bitty holes in it and it's going to break. And so this is the wonderful thing about teaching at somebody else's church because like I know two or three couples that do this and it would be really hard not to stare right at them. You just kind of like, you know, you, you know, Karen, I still only feel comfortable pointing at Karen even here because it might be you. I don't know. But the wonderful thing about talking to a group of people that I'm not involved in your life is I don't know if you're doing this, but if you're doing this, you are damaging your marriage. And today you need to say to each other, Honey, sweetie, that I've been lying to you, and here, here's how I've been doing it. And hopefully, you know, by the time we get done, your your the lied to spouse will have some tools on how to communicate about something like that, right? You, you can't do that. Look at verse 26. Verse 26 says, "Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger." Wonderful marriage advice about not letting the sun go down on your anger um, that ties into communication. And this is it: you can't carry things around for long periods of time. You can't do it. You need to get things out. You need to communicate. You need, and, and once again, I don't know if this is typical, but I know in, in our relationship, this is Karen. She'll hold it and she'll hold it and she'll hold it and she'll hold it. And then like old faithful, it will all come out. And, and quite frankly, that's not fair. That's not fair. It's not fair to hold it until you're so emotionally distraught that I remember early on in our marriage, um, 
that there was, her thing was she would slam the cupboards and slam drawers and, and, and what, it, you know, when we finally, you know, she's saying like, I'm doing that to find out if you love me. And I'm thinking when I hear it, I'm thinking if I go in there, you're going to kill me. I'm not, you're putting knives away and slamming them into the drawer. Like, you know, I just turn the TV up, you know, it's like, I, you know, I don't know what's going on in there and I don't want to know what's going on in there. And it's not fair to build stuff up and, ha- and have it come out, you know? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. De- deal with things. Communicate about them. Get them out. But the part I really want to talk to you about is this be angry and do not sin. Um, I have found that the only way that I can be angry and not sin is to simply shut my mouth. When I'm angry and I open my lips apart, 99.9% of the time it leads to sin. You know, there's this whole righteous anger thing. Yet Jesus had that. Paul had it about the Judaizers. But I don't know if I've ever had righteous anger. Ryan and I have a friend who's always claiming righteous anger. And, and I look, we look at it. He's a pastor. We look at it. We look at what he says. And we say to each other, that's crap. That's not righteous anger. It's an excuse. And it's stupid. And anybody who reads what he says knows that's not righteous anger. Because it's not righteously brought across, you know? So you can tell yourself you're righteously indignant, but let's be honest. The only way I have ever found to be angry and not sin is to just be quiet. And here's something else that Karen and I have discovered. When one of us is angry, you need a little bit of time. You need a little bit of time. It's okay. You know, hey, uh, what's going on? And she might say, I, and this drives me nuts. Because I like, I want to I wanna deal with it. And I want to deal with it right now because the Dodgers are going to be on in like 45 minutes. <laughs> you know, like, um, that's not really the reason, but I, I just hate having things out there. But she just says, like, I need some time. And, and, you know, I, and so she goes in the room and, you know, takes her Bible and, you know, whatever. Takes a shower, just does whatever. And then later we can talk about it. And although it drives me crazy, I'm glad that that takes place because when we've tried to talk when we're angry, it goes nowhere good goes nowhere good. And that's where you end up saying things that you shouldn't say. And you end up bringing up things that you've claimed to have forgiven the spouse for. And, you know, and, and then, you know, we all have our button pushers, right? And, you know, mine for Karen is I call her, her mom's name, you know, and like, if I ever, if ever I call her her mom's name, I know that when I'm doing this, it's a conscious choice to escalate this thing, you know? And it's either going to escalate in tears or in more anger. And then she's going to, you know, she's going to push her button with me. And, and, um, you know, and, and I'm, I'm glad that we don't do this often. But I, I would just say to you that if you've been communicating in anger, it's not effective. And you need to find a way to, because we get angry, right? We're emotional people. We're happy. We're sad. We're confused. We're lonely. We're angry. It's, it's just what it is. We're emotional people. Be angry and sin not. And, you know, I've even said to Karen, like, when I get angry and she wants to talk, like, I can't talk to you now. Because if I talk to you now, I'm going to say things that I don't really mean, but I'm angry. I'm angry and I shouldn't talk, you know, and then, and then we'll, just, we'll just calm down. I need to pray. You want to pray with me? I need to pray. I don't need to talk. If, if I open my mouth, it, it's going to be something that I'm going to have to apologize for. Let me just not talk. Now, uh, that can't extend a week. Shouldn't even extend, you know, a couple days. You know, if, if you know you're angry and you're, and you're conscious enough to know you shouldn't talk, then you need to deal with the Lord. 
And you know, it could take an hour, it could take an afternoon, but it, it can't take you know, days and days. And that may be why he says here, or it may be just good information. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Should, you know, shouldn't even go into tomorrow. Take your time, deal with the Lord, come back, you know, figure out what's real and, and express yourself. I, I love that verse. Verse um, 29 is the last one that I want to look at here that has to do with communication. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Paul says, no corrupt word. I I like the translation rotten or worthless. Let no rotten word, let no worthless word, let no corrupt. And I like like that because corrupt to me always brings about uh, the, the mental picture of, you know, Al Capone or John Gotti paying off cops and judges and and it, it just doesn't bring about the right picture in my mind. Rotten brings about fruit that we buy and leave in the bowl too long. It brings about milk that has sat in the fridge too long and comes out in clumps. That's what I think of when I think rotten, you know. But, but corrupt doesn't do the right thing. So I like to think rotten. Something that has turned. It's turned sour. It, it doesn't smell right. It doesn't taste right. It doesn't look right. Don't let that kind of speech come out of your mouth. And when we think about this husband to wife, this is amazing. And and wife to husband, this is amazing advice. Don't say things that are rotten. You know, and and this is where like those button pushers that we have that bringing up sin that was committed and confessed and forgiven and dealt with previously, bringing that up again would be um, rotten communication, you know, and, and, I've done, a, I've done a lot of adultery counseling. And adultery is such a serious thing that the Bible says, if you want a divorce, you can. I mean, just think about that for a minute. God hates divorce. It hurts people. It hurts kids. It, it, it brings shame to the, to the cause of Christ. But adultery is such a big deal. It's such a betrayal. It's so hurtful that, that the Bible says, when someone commits adultery, if you want to, you can walk away. And, you know, of course, many times, most times, what I'm encouraging people to do, what I'm sure Ryan's encouraging them to do is forgive and to, to see if the Lord would restore and, and to do all of those things, right? But if somebody said, you know what, man, it, I, I, was a, I was a great wife. I was a great husband. I tried. I confessed. I loved. I gave. And they committed adultery. I, I, I'm out. I can't, I can't tell them they're sinning. I can't tell them they're you know, that, that they're violent. I mean, if they want out, they're out. It's like God built into this biblical game of Monopoly, a get out of jail free card. It's a phenomenal thing, right? And I always try to impress that upon, upon them in the beginning. And then when a spouse says, okay, I'm going to forgive, then this is what I impress upon them. This, you need to understand what that means. If you're going to forgive, that means that every time you get in a fight, you can't bring this up. Now he or she needs to, needs to earn trust. They need to earn respect. They need to, you, you, you can't just give somebody something you don't have. And you don't trust them. You shouldn't trust them. They're going to have to build it back. However, two years from now, three years from now, you know, when you're married and you're together and you get in a fight, you can't bring back, you know, he slept with somebody or she cheated on you. It, it's corrupt. It's rotten. You can't do it. And, and here's the thing. If you want to say that today in counseling, go right ahead. And you're not wrong to say it. And you're not wrong to express and you're not wrong to feel it. But if two years from now you come back to my office, it's not going to be him who's wrong. It's not going to be her who's wrong. It's going to be you. 
So, so decide. Because if you say you forgive, this is what it means biblically. This is what it means to the Lord. This is what it should mean. And, and, and this idea of bringing up past sins, that's adultery. But, but we need to apply that to all kinds of things. You know, financial failings and emotional failings and parental failings and whatever they are. You know, whatever your issues are. You're married to somebody, you know their, you know their problems. And it's very easy to say to them things like, well, you know, this is how you are and you did this before. And remember when you did that. And it's corrupt. It's rotten to speak to each other that way. No problem has ever been solved. Never has a spouse said, you know what? You're right. You're right. I did do that then. I'm so sorry today. Have you ever tried that? Do you ever get that reaction? Just immediate repentance and, and soft heartedness? No, that's not the reaction you get. You get anger. You get hard heartedness. You get hurt feelings. You get people saying like, hey, you said you forgave me for that. You can't. Why are you bringing it up? It's corrupt to do that. It's corrupt to do it. Um, and, and here's another thing about worthless, rotten things. And this is true about a lot of Christianity. What is worthless? There are a lot of things that are worthless across the board, but there are specific things to me and Karen that are worthless, that are rotten, right? They're specific. They're things that I shouldn't say to her that she's been able to communicate to me. You know what? When you say this, it, it hurts me. From that point on, when I understand that, when I say it, to me, it's, it's rotten. It's worthless communication. You might be able to say it to your wife, no problem at all, but it's just become rotten to us. I might say to her, you know what? Um, when you do that, when you say that, it, it really bothers me. From that point forward, if she understands, if she says, I'm sorry, from that point forward, if she does it, now that becomes rotten, that becomes worthless. And so I, I would say this about this. You need to talk to each other and identify what is specifically corrupt communication just between the two of you. You need to be able to say to each other, these are the things that you say to me when we're in a fight, maybe that you say to me in some other way, and they hurt me. I don't like them. They upset me. They, they, they make me feel and look like an idiot. What? These are the things, you know? You need to be able to identify personally, individually, what is corrupt communication in, in your marriage. Now, Paul doesn't stop here in Ephesians just with let no corrupt communication, but he says that which is for necessary edification, building up. It is necessary in a relationship to build up the other person if you're a Christian. You see, relationships in the world are about what can you do for me? How can you make my life better? How can you make me have more fun? How can you benefit me? But Christian relationships are about how can I benefit you? How, how can I build you up? How can I, how can I help you? And most especially Christian marriages about that. You know, I heard someone say a long time ago that when you enter into a, into a unique relationship with another Christian and marriage would qualify, it's like handing someone a hammer. And they said a hammer is a unique tool because you can build with it and you can destroy with it. You can both build up and tear down. You make the choice. Are you going to use your hammer to precisely, you know, and, and who actually uses a hammer to do this kind of work anymore, but are you going to use a hammer to precisely put in nails to build up a structure or are you going to use your hammer to make holes, to turn around then with the claw and rip at those holes and tear down? We, we could, and I don't quite know what this is made out of, but you know, we could tear this entire room apart with hammers. You know, and they could have built this entire room with hammers. The, the choice is the person who holds it. And when you get in a marriage, it's like giving your spouse a hammer, right? 
And we have to choose to build up. We have to choose to benefit. So not, it's not only about avoiding the worthless speech, but it's about finding and choosing speech that brings about edification. And not just edification, but notice it says necessary. We need as human beings to be built up. We need it. I need to be appreciated by Karen. She needs to be appreciated by me. I need to be built up by her. She needs to be built up by me. I need to be loved by her. She needs to be loved by me. It's necessary for us to have a healthy relationship. This would be one that guys generally are not very good at. Necessary edification does not mean you tell her she looks nice because you want to sleep with her. That's not necessary edification. That's trying to get in her pants. That's what that is. And, and whether they act like it or not, they have known what that is since they were 15. <laughs> and they still know what it is today, you know. And necessary edification is building someone up for their benefit, not for your benefit. Now, you know, we'll talk in the, in the sex thing after the break that sometimes when you do this strictly for their benefit, you get some of those other benefits coming back at you. But that's not why you do it. And when it is why you do it, other people can tell. And especially your spouse can tell because they know you better than anybody, right? They can tell. Necessary edification. What I want to say to you, and we're going to close with this, your spouse needs you to build them up. They need you to build them up. It's not, it's not a, you should do it if you want to be a really good wife or you want to be a really good husband. They need you to do that. And if you're not doing it, they are malnourished in some way. It would be like a human who's not getting enough of a certain vitamin that they need. And if you don't get enough of a certain vitamin that you need over a long period of time, you know what happens? You start to break down. We have a 20-year-old girl in our church, super, you know, super healthy, at least on the outside, and, and um, they think it's an iron deficiency. She's lost half of her hair. All of her nails have problems because she's not getting enough iron. And, you know, at 20, she, she had no idea, right? It wasn't until half her hair was gone that she decided to go spouse. You were depriving them of something that is necessary. They need it. It's like holding back something that, that is necessary for their ability to thrive and be healthy. And this is an individual thing that every one of us needs to think about. Am I providing the edification, which means building up, that my spouse needs? Am I providing that? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for just giving us some time to talk about these things, Lord. I pray for every marriage that is represented here, Lord, that we would become better communicators, that we would learn each other, Lord, even more than we do now. For those, Lord, that know so much about each other, I pray that they would learn more. For those that know so little, I pray that they would learn a ton. Jesus, help us to figure out ways to communicate, and I pray it, Lord, in your name. Okay, so now you're acting like CCPV people. Come and sit down. This I'm used to. Hey, Ryan, I know you got one ear, but it's time to come sit down now. Come on. You're supposed to be most obedient, not least. Okay. Um, these questions, of course, were... Um, they were thought out. That's why they're there. Um, I don't really want to discuss anybody's answers for a majority of our conversations are about. But I did want you to have to put down on paper 
what a majority of your conversations are about. Um, I think that um, this is something that we ought to think about. I think that it's something that we ought to look at. I think that it's something that, that we ought to be able to say to each other, man, is that true? Do we only talk about our kids? Is all we ever talk about money? Do we only talk about this? Or, um, and and we, it's something good for us to look at and evaluate. What are the majority of our conversations? Um, Karen and I had a period in our life where the majority of our conversations were about other people. And um, we sort of... We sort of came to the conclusion that, you know, we needed, we needed to talk about us. We needed to talk about each other. Like, um, we're both fairly observant people. And, of course, you know, when, um, you know, when you're in a church, you're involved in people's lives. And when you're in ministry, you care about people. And I think it's natural for a husband and wife to, to discuss, you know, especially in our position, to discuss other people. But... It was good for us to, to look at a question like this, and I can't remember when it was or how it came up, and, and it might have just been Karen who said, man, I think all we're doing is talking about other people, and we don't ever talk about, you know, like just us. We don't ever talk about, um, you know, anything that, that relates to the two of us, and it was a good thing for us because we looked at it. We sort of said, well, um, that can't be right. That can't be healthy. That, that a majority of what we talk about is other people. And we made some changes and we began to um, communicate with each other. And so that's why that question is there, um, you know, for, for you to look at and, and sort of evaluate as a couple, what is it that we're talking about, you know? And, um, you know, what should we be talking about? And so that's why that's there. The most difficult thing for us to communicate about, this is, this and how do we resolve conflicts, this is the um, sort of rubber meets the road to marital communication. Um, I, I could care less how you decide where to eat dinner unless it becomes a fight. You know, I, I could care less how you decide what movie to see, um, what clothes to buy, how to redecorate your living room. Um, but, but what I want to know, what you need help with, what causes people to get off track is how do they communicate about the thing that is difficult to communicate about? You know, um, there was a lot of uh, money and sex. And um, these things can become difficult things to communicate about. It's difficult to communicate about money. Um, and, you know, once again, and, and I don't know if this is always the best thing to do, but I have my life to, to think about. And um, something that I was unprepared for when I got married was this immense responsibility that I immediately felt as a husband. I just felt, I don't know where it came from. I don't know anything about it. Nobody ever told me anything about it. But I was overwhelmed with this pressure to, to take care of Karen. The, like when we were dating, all I wanted to do was be with her. All I wanted to do was talk to her. All I wanted to do was sleep with her, you know. And then all of a sudden, she became my wife and we could sleep together. You know, that was amazing. But suddenly, I had this pressure to, to take care of her. And she didn't understand it, and I didn't understand it, and any conversation about money became um, an expose of my failures to care for her as my wife. Now, that isn't why she wanted to talk about it, that, but to me, that's what it was. 
That's why it was difficult to talk about because it was like, it, it was like an hour long um, microscope on my failure to do what, you know, I don't, I don't know that anybody told me I was supposed to do it, but I just know I'm supposed to do it. And so talking about money has been difficult. We've had, you know, we've had um, difficult times, Karen and I talking um, about money. And eventually what I had to do was try to explain to her because she didn't have any idea. She'd bring something up that needed to be brought up that we needed to talk about. And immediately I would just be agitated and I would be short and I would be defensive is what it is, but how it would come across to her is all these other ways. And eventually, you know, she asked and, and like, what is wrong with you? Why do you turn into a psychopath when we're talking about, you know, when, when we're talking about money and unfortunately for Karen and I, um, you know, there's this whole like paying the bills thing. Right. And by the way, um, who should pay the bills is someone who's organized and responsible. That's who should pay the bills. And, and there've been these Christian things that, that go around where, you know, that's, you're a spiritual leader and that's your job. And, and that's just crap. If you're not good at it, if you're not good at it, you shouldn't be doing it. And I remember, I think it was Chuck Woolley, Calvary Chapel, Palm Springs. He talked about getting woken up in the middle of the night, 12 o'clock and call and, and pastor, we're, we're going to kill each other. And it's a family I've been married like 25 years and we need to talk right now. It's like 1am. He's like, right now. Yeah, right now. And so he went over to their house and he gets there and the table, it just, the bills are spread out. And she just says, he's ruining us, you know, and, and they're, and they're late on this and they haven't paid that. And this is there. And he has no idea. And she's asking him questions. What did you do? And he doesn't even know what he did. And, and, you know, and, and then he asked, there isn't, but there wasn't, you know, it wasn't a sin involved. You know, he wasn't gambling money and not telling her. He wasn't spending it on sex. He just was bad with money. And she was an accountant. Okay. And he's paying the bills because they went to a seminar and some idiot pastor told them that you're the spiritual leader and you should be paying the bills. And when Chuck found out, he said, okay, here's the, this is from the Lord. You pay the bills and you don't pay the bills. And he said, I'm going home and going to bed. Right. And he said, the guy was super relieved and the late, you know, they just heard it and they thought, well, we, we want to do it right. And, and you know, the whole time she's just been quiet, just slowly knowing that he's running them into the ground, you know, and, and it was, it was just ridiculous paying the bills. The person who's good at it should do it. Problem is for us. I'm not good at it. Neither is Karen. And so, you know, it's always wonderful if somebody's organized and somebody's real thorough and, and I can be organized and thorough about something else, but I don't know what it is. I just hate doing it. And thank God for online banking because it has taken away some of the sitting down and writing out the checks and trying to figure things out. It's awesome. It tells me what I paid him last month. You know, so if I look at a bill and, and it's just great, it's click, click, the bills are paid. So it has saved us from, uh, I mean, we've probably put a child through college in late fees in 18 years of being married as we pass the bills back and forth and back and back in the check days, not routinely, but I would say two or three times a year, we're driving to Edison with a check. So they don't shut our lights off. We, we got like. $4,000 in the bank 
and I have to drive a $112 check all the way across town so they won't shut my lights off. I mean, it makes no sense, right? It's ridiculous. But unfortunately, neither one of us are, are good at it, and the kids weren't old enough. So, um, you know, we just, that, that's what we did. But money is a difficult thing to talk about. It was for us, and a lot of you put that money is the most difficult thing for you to talk about. Um, here's what I would like to tell you. The most difficult thing for you to talk about is probably what you need to talk about the most. I don't mean the most in time, but I mean it's probably num- the number one thing you need to talk about. And unfortunately, what we do is we know it's difficult to talk about it, so we don't talk about it and we talk about everything else. We talk about other people, we talk about other things, we talk about insignificant, meaningless things, and we let it go and we let it go and we let it go. And when you're ignoring it, it's not getting easier to talk about. You put a monster in a basement with an endless supply of food, he's not getting less dangerous. And that's what your money problems are doing if you're not talking about them. They're just getting bigger. They're just getting stronger. Somebody's got to talk about it. You've got to be able to sit down and say, um, honey, I love you. You're a wonderful provider. I understand what's going on, but we have to make some decisions. You know, and, and maybe this is, is currently important, you know, with, um, with the way that we're, you know, the way that we're going with our economy. You need to think about at what point do we have to sell our house? At what point do we have to get rid of a car? At what point do we have to do these things? If you don't talk about them, it, it's hurting your marriage because those things are still coming. And, and, you know, like my friend who didn't tell his wife about the houses, It became a much more difficult conversation because the reason he had to tell her is because now now it was going to affect their credit. Now it was coming back because they lost the house, right? And when he had to tell her, it became much more difficult than if he had, well, you know, she's a really sharp gal. If he had told her in the beginning, they probably would have never bought the house they lost. But even if he had told her after he did it, um, and apologized and they got through it, it wouldn't have been as difficult as waiting until it was beyond um, helping. Maybe some of you are, are already there financially, I don't know, but I know that by not talking about it, it's not getting better. It's not getting, same thing with sex. Sex is a difficult thing to talk about, and we're, we're going to talk about this later, but the only way your sex is ever going to get better is if you talk about it. And sex has been a very difficult thing for Karen and I to talk about. And, you know, a lot of it is my fault. And Karen, you know, being a good Baptist girl who was really concerned about what others thought about her, she came to the marriage as a virgin. And me, I I didn't. And so sex right away, and she knew that. You know, it's something that she knew before we got married, before we even dated, she knew it. And it was very difficult to talk about because... She was inexperienced, kind of afraid, all of that stuff. And I had, you know, I had slept with a couple other girls. And, and so I felt like anything I said, no matter how carefully I said it, it would be, hey, the last girl I was with, you know, she moved her hips like this. And that was amazing. Could you try that? And so I just said nothing, you know, I, I just, I just said nothing. And then, and then. I was all tense, not knowing what to say. And then she could sense that I was that way. And, and without me even saying it, she had said in her mind, I, you know, I'm the most horrible person he's ever slept with. This is terrible. And she never said like, um, you know, I, I want this to be good. She didn't say anything. She felt self-conscious. I felt self-conscious. And guess what? Our sex didn't get better. It got worse. It doesn't get better. It, it, it gets worse when you don't talk about it. Right. And now even to today, 
if we talk about, um, we have no problem talking about sex, um, but if we begin to talk about, um, you know, sex, like say in a day, like, um, how can, how can I, I think Karen still has holdovers and, and obviously my fault. She still has the holdover idea that she's not, um, that, that she's not giving me enough sex or I don't even know if that's the right way to say it, but like for me, and we'll talk about this later, but like, if she's not into it, I'm out. I, I'm, I'm absolutely out. The, um, you know what Viagra does, right? A, a guy, you know, hundred year old man, and he's, he's ready to go. The opposite of Viagra, the, the South Pole to Viagra's North Pole is, is her acting like she's doing me a favor by having sex with me. It's the anti-Viagra to me, right? So um, if, if she'll sense that and, and then back and forth and, and then I'll say something that's a joke and she'll think it's one of those jokes with meanings and then, she, and then she'll kind of respond to it and then, and then I'll like be like, are you kidding me? And, and then it just becomes this difficult conversation. Well, you know, you're, you know, and I, and I am, I'm really tired. And I'm like, look, I didn't want to have sex. I wanted to make a joke about sex. You know, we had it this afternoon. It was a, it was a joke. Like, but now it's become this big thing, this difficult thing to talk about. Um, your sex isn't getting better if you're not talking about it. It's getting worse. And I guess we'll save the rest of that for, for later. Um, how about this? The most difficult thing for us to communicate about her failure to live up to my expectations, areas where he is failing me. It is extremely difficult to communicate about the 10 things I hate about you or what I don't like about you or, you know, what you're not doing right. That's a difficult thing to bring up as a Christian person. Um, there is a way to bring this up. What you do is you say, honey, how can I be a better husband? How can I be better when what you really want is to tell her how she could be a better wife, right? But if you just sit her down and say, I want to tell you how you can be a better wife, that doesn't go very well, right? But if you would say, hey, how, you know, how can I be a better husband? And then you would actually pay as much attention to what she says as you want her to pay to what you were going to say, then I guarantee it will lead to you being able to express to her. Maybe not in that conversation. If they sniff out that you're only asking so that you can have the opportunity to tell them what you don't like, that's still not going to go over well. But if you ask and you receive and you apply, then that will come. It could be a couple days later, it could be a week later, but, but then you'll be able to express. And quite frankly, if you listen and apply and become a better spouse to her, let's say, she might become a better spouse to you without you ever having to tell her. See, things, and this is something you need to know about women. Women are created to respond. They are, by nature, responders. And so, I I remember, um, I I guess I don't remember, because I don't know who said it, but it was in that whole promise keepers thing, and and, um, there were a lot of weird things said, but one guy was talking about marriage, and he said, guys, you need to take a good look at your wife. You need to look at her demeanor. You need to look at her attitude. You need to look at her reactions. And then you need to know she is that way in large part because of you. That's your imprint on her life. If she lacks confidence, it has a lot to do with you not building her up. 
If, if she's angry, if she's, it has a lot to do with you not listening to her. If she's hurt, it has a lot to do with you inflicting wounds. Women are responders. And guys, if, if there's things we want to say to them, if we would be willing to listen and, and to try to understand, that could be the hard part. But when we do understand to do something about what she says, those things that we want to say to her have a way, a lot of them, of, of just working themselves out, of just responding. And, and, you know, ladies, I think this is a great thing for you too. You know, we have this tendency to, to be able to notice other people's failures really quickly, but to be able to overlook ours, right? I am, I am a pro at this. I have a justification slash, slash explanation for everything I do wrong. But I can see your faults in a lunch, you know? I, I, can, I, I can see Karen's. I can see somebody else's very, very quickly. But mine, I tend to justify them. I tend to, you know, I, I tend to, to be very quick. I think it's who we are as humans, right? Adam, what have you done? Wasn't me. Was that woman you made? In fact, God, what I'd really like to do is go to sleep and start over. Just take another rib and make me one that's not evil this time. You know, it's kind of what he said to God. It wasn't me. It wasn't me, Lord. I just did it because she brought it to me and she's so beautiful, you know. So, and then, well, and then he turned to Eve and like, it wasn't me. It was a talking snake. How am I supposed to resist a talking snake? It's just who we are. We justify what we do, but we're quick to see blame somewhere else. And, and this is a great thing for, for ladies as well. When you're, when you're noticing all your husband's failures and he won't let me talk to him, just think that there's a possibility that he might be noticing some of your failures and you're not letting him talk to you. Somebody might want to be the one who says, hey, what can I do to be, to be a, a better spouse? What, what can I do? To be a wonderful, wonderful thing to try. Um, let's see. Here's another one. Somebody put on here um, about stepkids. And that, it, and that it's a difficult thing to communicate about. Um, stepkids is a, it's something that the Bible doesn't even anticipate, right? We have made such a thing out of marriage that, that you know, people want to ask me questions like, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, they read the Bible like, am I supposed to, you know, divorce my current wife, who's my third wife, and then remarry my second wife, and then divorce her, and then remarry my first, you know, and, and I just said like, look, the Bible didn't even know you, right? The Bible didn't even have this in mind, you know? You need to walk with the Lord now. And, and I don't, you know, of course you're not supposed to do that. That's ridiculous. But, you know, here's some things you're supposed to do. And this whole, like, stepchild relationship is something that is, is like, outside of the view of the culture in which this thing was even written. But it is very, very difficult. And it requires a tremendous amount of understanding. And it also requires that the parents be united. A stepchild relationship will never work unless the real parent is united with a stepparent. It cannot work. If your child gets from you, oh, I don't know why he talks to you like that. You are undermining his possibility to ever have a relationship with your child. If your child gets from you that, oh, you know, you go and talk to him and what you decide to do is kind of try to explain, you know, mommy, but you do it by highlighting her frailties and her faults, you're undermining your wife's ability to ever have a relationship with your child. You have to be together. A man and a woman, when they're married according to God, they are one. And any actions that come across as two are unhealthy. 
And then, I mean, this is true with real children, right? If your child runs and asks mom something and mom says no, and then they run and ask dad and dad says yes, this is a problem. If you don't know, they're going to get away with it. When you find out, you should beat their little butts like they've never been beat before. <laughs> I don't care what anybody tells you about that. I got beat my entire life. I'm normal. I'm well adjusted. I have a sense of humor. I love my parents. I appreciate them. Beat them with the rod, Proverbs says. He will not die. He won't die. You know, the problem is, is that people do it not only in anger, but they do it inappropriately. And, and, and obviously you can't, you can't do those things. And when I say in anger, I mean in uncontrolled anger, because I'm going to tell you this right now. I've spanked my kids in anger a ton of times. In fact, for me to spank them, I have to be kind of angry. You know, I don't just walk home and spank them for, you know, just looking stupid. <laughs> you know? You spank them for a reason, you know? So I, you know, I can't stand before you and say, don't spank your children in anger. I'd be a hypocrite, but not an uncontrolled anger, right? Not it. And if, and if your anger is out of control, you got to calm down first. You know, you can't, you can't do that, but, and you can't let your kids see that there's a division between the two of you. You, you got to work it out together. You can't disagree in front of the kids about what you're going to do with them. You, you, you can't do that. You, you've got to. Talk to each other. You, if you got to go in the room and close the door, and I don't care how small they are, they figure it out. The, the, the problem in Christian parenting is that far too often the kids are smarter than the parents. And it is so easy to see from the outside. You know, oh, uh, you know, oh, I'm not going to do this, right? What's classic? Um, I, this is classic in, in American. Like when I grew up... We weren't poor, but we didn't have a lot of money. And so like when it was time to eat, you ate what you had. And if you didn't eat that, there was nothing else. Right. And, and, but that's not the way it is today. Right. And so, you know, little Jeffy's not going to eat, doesn't want to eat his dinner. And so, you know, so then you start the whole like, oh, you know, if you don't eat your dinner, then you're not going to get dessert. Right. And then Jeffy cries and he bats his eyes at you and he puffs out his lip. And um, and then you maybe you're you're the mom now. And then maybe you say, you know, hey, honey, you need to come because Jeffy's not going to eat his dinner. And, and I want to give him cake now. Right. And I know that's not right. So you come in and the dad comes in and you're you are absolutely not getting cake. You know, you you go to your room right now. You're a bad boy. And he cries his way to his room. And then like 20 minutes later, mom's in there with a piece of cake, you know. That, that's, this is not good. And you know who it's not good for? It's not good for little Jeffy. That's who it's not good for. That's who it's not good for. It's not good to tell your kids, if you do that, listen, I don't care how you raise your kids. You don't want them to eat their food. That's fine with me, but do not tell them. If you don't, then I won't, and then do it. Because you're teaching them bad lessons. And what's going to happen is they're going to become teenagers. And then they're going to have problems. And then you're going to try to lay down the law and they're going to have zero respect for you. And it's your fault. It's not their fault. It's your fault. You go to bed right now or else I'm going to do this. They don't go to bed. You don't do that. You're raising your child to have no respect for authority. And if you don't make a child understand what the word no means, they're going to have problems with their teachers. They're going to have problems with the law. They're going to have problems with their boss. And it's your fault. It's, it's a, and which I don't really know what has to do about communication, but, um, kids are a difficult thing to communicate about, but you have to be together and and dads, here's something I want to say to you. 
I know you work hard all day. I know you're stressed. I know you got all kinds of things on your mind. It is not okay for you to stay uninvolved in that. It is not okay. It is not okay for you to think that it is ridiculous for your wife to be in a World War III battle about trying to get him to eat green beans and just stay in the other room. It's not okay. You're needed there. You're needed. You need to get involved. And then when it's over and he finally goes to bed crying or whatever, you need to go in the room with your wife and you need to say, listen, it's ridiculous that you got into a World War III battle about green beans. Decide what you want to do with the green beans, make a decision and stick to it. You're needed there. There is something about a mother that finds it very difficult to carry through sometimes on discipline with a child. A kid needs a mom and a dad. And that's generally speaking. I know a lot of moms who just as soon hit a kid as look at them. Generally speaking, though, that's, that's difficult. Um, it, it's, kind, it's kind of a difficult thing to do. And you're needed there. It's not okay to sit out. And here's something you need to know, right? I now have teenage kids. What you do with, with them when they're little, it, it stays with them. It's going to come out. You're going to have to deal with it sooner or later. And you can ignore the green beans, but you can't ignore the sneaking out of the house to see a boyfriend. So get involved with the green beans so at least you can present a united front, front the whole way. I was scared to death of my dad. And because of that, I stayed out of a lot of trouble. I'm, I'm an outgoing kid. I had a lot of friends. And there were a ton of times that I convinced guys not to do stuff because I knew there was a good chance we could go to jail and my dad would kill me. And then when I got to be about 26, I found out that my dad got, you know, I knew he was in the Navy. You know, I got in the Navy, he stole a car. And back in those days, it was like, you can go to jail or go to the Navy, right? He was, he got thrown in jail for the night a bunch of times. He came home drunk his whole life. He was waiting with it, holding his breath for me to get in trouble. And he would have responded with understanding, with grace, but I didn't know that. And it was good for me not to know that. If I had known that at 17, he would have come to get me out of jail. I would have tried drugs. I would have, but I didn't do it because he was involved enough to scare the hell out of me. And it, it was, it benefited me when I was later. My mom used to do this trick, kind of unfair to the husband, but effective for the kid. You go in there and wait till dad gets home. He is going to whip you good. <laughs> And I would sit in my room for what seemed like a week. And, you know, now that I think about it, how unfair to my dad. He's working all day long. He wants to come home and see his family. You know, he became sterile after I was born. He's got one kid. Maybe he wants to play catch with me. But no, you know, he's got to he, beat me first. You know, kind of unfair to him, but super effective and really effective when I was a teenager. Because it, it built the fear of dad into me, you know. It, it, he needed to be involved when I was little. It had an effect later on, you know? And, and quite frankly, and maybe this is just an effect of being with my mom, and I think I can say this because she'll probably never hear this tape, but she didn't scare me. She, she didn't scare me. I could out-argue my mom like in seventh grade, you know? And doing it, I, I got slapped by my dad a couple times, you know? But I could out-argue her. I could talk her into things. I could talk around things. I could, I knew how to play on her heartstrings. And if it was just my mom who was involved in my life, God knows what I would have done. But my dad was always involved enough to scare me to death. And you know what? They were together. Even when she was weak, I knew when he was around, she suddenly got a lot stronger. Right behind him and a little to the left. Right? I told you. 
You know what I mean? Like she got a little stronger when he was around because they were together. This is the only way you can deal with kids. It's the only way you can deal with stepkids. You have to come together. And as the step parent, you have to understand that you can do nothing to that stepchild that, that their real parent doesn't approve of, doesn't agree with, and doesn't think is appropriate. You can't. And if you try to do things to that stepchild that the other parent doesn't approve of, agree with, or think is appropriate, you're going to have a problem here and you're going to have a problem here. So you need to resign yourself to the fact that your ability to interact with that child comes this way. You have to have conversations this way. You have to have agreements this way. And then you can. Then you, now, you know, in the other instance, you can just look at each other and say, hey, I made that kid too. Right? You know, you can, you can act first and explain later with your own kids. But you can't do that in a stepchild relationship. It's a difficult thing to communicate about, but you, you have to take care of it this way. Let me read you some of these others. Um, how do we resolve conflict? Fighting, not talking for a while, arguing, fighting. Um, how do we resolve conflicts? I usually raise my voice and end the conversation. And the wife says, I shut up and back down. Um, fighting and arguing, raising your voice, shutting up and backing down. These are not approved conflict resolution techniques, <laughs> right? Um, how about um, communication, uh, resolving issues? The mention of a problem or unmet need puts her in a downward spiral of self-esteem problems and defensiveness. The wife says, ditto, when I bring up problems, he denies there is a problem or tells me how it's my fault. That sounds like me. The, the pro uh, it's my fault that the problem exists. Always, almost always refuses to admit any wrongdoing. Um, this is a problem, right? Fighting and arguing, refusing to admit problems, spiraling out of control, depression, low self-esteem. It's not my fault. It's your fault. Um, this is very bad communication, right? So what do we do about this? There is something that, that, um, that I've done with couples that has been tremendously effective. I wish I could have flown up um, a couple of couples here. One, their problem was a stepchild relationship, and another one, it was the two of them, and both of them, this is, this is one of the problems of like, my goal as a pastor is to be a regular guy. I want you to know I struggle with the same things that you do. I want you to know that I need Jesus the same way you do. I share my faults and my mistakes with people. And sometimes I make them even sound worse to make a point than they actually are. The problem with that is, and sometimes people think, how's he going to help me? Right? And so both of these couples came very reluctantly. In fact, the one husband threatened to separate from the wife because she told me. And, and he, him and I went to high school together. How's he going to help me, right? Came in there and, and you know, we talked and, and we did a lot of things. They are madly in love. To, they are my best commercial for marriage counseling, for, for doing, I should have videoed them and, and played it on the screen. Like, they, like to them now, I went from how's he going to help me to the guru of marriage advice. And all I said to him was some simple things, you know, that they happen to be in a place ready to listen. And the, and the step kid people, like their problem was so easy to see and to help from the outside, but they couldn't see it from the inside. Now they're telling everybody in church that I can fix any problem. And I'm like, listen, I don't fix any problems. You know, you were ready to apply some things that were common sense. If you want to tell people anything, tell them you were so stupid. You couldn't see what was right in front of you. Please don't tell people I can fix any problem, you know. A guy, you know, I don't, I, okay, enough of that. So, um, 
if you're having communication problems, I want to offer you something that will help you greatly. What happens when, when we have communication problems, what happens when there are things that are difficult to talk about is we talk about them when they come up and it always leads nowhere. What we need to do, what you need to do if you're having a communication problem is you need to make a time. Tuesday night after the kids go to bed or we're gonna, this is important enough that we're gonna get someone to come over and we're gonna go sit in a restaurant. Tuesday night we're gonna talk. Because what happens to people, especially those of you that have kids, like we talked about last night, is life just happens. You never have time to talk. You never make time to talk. And when you do, it doesn't go well. Because it's in the midst of all the stress and pressure and and obligations. And that's not an effective way to communicate. So you need to make a date to talk. Okay? And then what I tell them is this. And this, typically, you know, there's one person who's more upset maybe than the other. And this is better for them. From now until Tuesday, you get yourself a piece of paper and every time he does this, every time they do that, you just write it down. But don't say anything about it because nobody can live in a relationship where three times every day I'm being bombarded with what I'm doing wrong. It's just constantly harping on me. Somebody put here, um, and I wish I had pulled that one out because it was funny, the the husbands um, look at it and the, and the wives, um, you know, our conversations are this, 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 and nagging. And hers was, they're this, 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 they matched up. And then she had some way to make nagging sound good. Like, you know, like encouraging each other or something. It was, it was funny. And nagging is, is not just what you say, but it's when you say it and how you say it. And it's constantly, it, it, this never leads anywhere good. So just write it down. Okay, Tuesday night's coming. And here's the thing. Why do people nag each other? Because they don't think they're ever going to have any other opportunity to say it. This is why things come out like this. And if you know you're going to have an opportunity to speak, you don't have to speak. The reason they fly out is because you think, if I don't say it now, I'm never going to get to say it. This is what you do that I hate. You're doing it again. Like, I got to take my opportunity right now. Then the reason is you never make time to talk. Make time to talk. And then if she starts, you can just go like this. Tuesday. Tuesday. Uh, 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 Tuesday. You know? Now, if the kid, you know, gets in a fight at school, you know, you need to talk about some things. It's not for you husbands who don't like to talk. It's not an excuse to be quiet until Tuesday. But you don't have to talk about any issues. You don't have to argue about stuff. You don't have to be nagged. You don't, you just, Tuesday. You just write it down. And for those of you that do that, it's comfortable. You write it down right? Now you're going to go out on Tuesday. You've got your list. He's got his list, whatever it is. Then this is what you got to do, especially if there's emotions involved. Before you, before the dinner comes, before the kids go to bed, whatever, sometime during the day, when Tuesday comes, you got to take out your list. You got to look at it. You got to pray and you got to cross off the stuff that's petty. You got to say to yourself, you know what? Now that some days have passed, this isn't as big a deal as it seemed to me. And you exit off. This is just me being stupid and you, and, and you scribble it out. This is, and then, you cut, then now you have some real things to talk about. You sit down, you pray, and, and you bring out your list. And I think the most effective way to do it is one at a time, right? You, you, let, you let someone go first. They bring out one. You talk. You're not angry. You shouldn't be angry. 
You're not feeling like it's your only opportunity. It's not coming from frustration. So all of that stuff is gone. And now you can talk about it. You state it. He or she gets to answer. You get to respond. And you talk it until you understand each other. And then, then you do another one. You know, or maybe you do one and then you let them do one. And you just resolve them one at a time. And this forces you to learn how to communicate effectively. And if you do this for a while, you won't need to have a Tuesday date and you won't need to have a list. What you'll know is, okay, this is something we need to talk about. But if I bring it up right now, it's not going to go well. So you just say, hey... I have something we need to talk about. You know, when's a good time for us to do it? And he or she knows immediately what that means because they've done this thing too. And so that you sit down, you void yourself of emotional attachment to the issue and you just talk and you just try to resolve. Listen, we have to communicate because if we don't, we're going to fall apart. If we don't talk about these things, we're going to come apart at the seams. It's not a matter of if... It's a matter of when. If you don't communicate, your marriage will fail. You may or may not get a divorce. You might be committed enough to the Lord to hate each other until the rapture. But your marriage is going to fail if you don't communicate. And here's what happens to a ton of Christian couples. They're not communicating well. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. They have some kids. They're able then to focus everything onto the kids. Their life becomes the children. That they're happy and well-adjusted and maybe even subconsciously, we're trying to get the things we need from the kids. I'm trying to be affirmed and built up through my children. And then, but eventually, they're going to grow up and leave. And then you're going to turn into those grumpy old people that embarrass everybody at family gatherings. <laughs> You know, that's who you're going to become. People living separate lives who don't know how to communicate, whose marriage is dead and gone the day the kids left. And in fact, it was dead and gone a long time before that. I love my kids. Love them to death. They cannot be my priority. She has to be. She has to be. My, I have to communicate with her. I cannot. And, and as a result of that, and this might sound really odd to you, as a result of that, as much as I love them, I, I'm a, I actually enjoy that they have some freedom now. I actually am looking forward to them going to college. I'm actually looking forward to them having lives of their own. But a lot of Christian parents, we, we know a pastor and his wife, and, and I was doing a marriage thing for them, and she came up, and she was just undone. And I mean, you know, did, did you just find out you have cancer? Did your mom die? Her, her last child went off to college and she began to tell us about it. And I think about three quarters of the, she was my best friend and we did everything together. And now she's gone and I'm just, and then she remembered who she was talking to. And she said, well, it's not that, you know, me and Brian have a bad relationship. Like I, you know, I love Brian and he's my best friend. And I just kind of went, it's too late. You can't back out of that. Now you weren't talking to somebody at church who doesn't know what that means. I know what that means. What that means is you have a bad marriage. So get up and teach all you want about marriage. Do as many retreats as you want, but now I know. You've been outed, you know? Because you know what? You looked at him, he was happy as pie. Oh man, you know, my daughter went to Washington State. She's on the track team. It's awesome. And she's just like, my best friend is gone. This is, this is a problem. 
the problem. And it's an indicate to me, not only did I know that they had a marital problem, but I knew that they've had a marital problem for a long time that they've been able to ignore because at church, they're happy in front of everybody. And at home, she has someone to pour her life into. He has ministry to pour his life into. She has children to pour her life into. The child now left. He still has his ministry. He's happy as pie. She's completely undone. And the people in their church ought to figure it out too. But maybe not if they've only been being taught by them, right? This, this is a problem. You have to communicate or your marriage will fail. Let me tell you something else. You are going to go through, if Jesus tarries, incredibly difficult things. Some of you are doing it right now. I had a kidney disease. Karen got cancer. Unbelievable. And I'm telling you right now that if we didn't love each other, if we didn't know how to communicate, if we didn't have a healthy relationship, this thing would be far more difficult than it is. Far more difficult. She would not be here with a smile on her face saying hi to people. She wouldn't be at church ministering to people, talking to them about their problems. She would be undone. And a big part of why she's able to, and this sounds almost like I'm bragging. I don't intend it to be that way. A big part of why she's able to be happy, why she's able to bless, why she's able to minister is because she has a husband who knows her, who loves her, who lifts her up, who prays with her and prays for her. She has frightening conversations with me. Karen does not have a bunch of girlfriends that she runs to to pour out her heart about everything she's afraid of. Because, you know, newsflash, she has a husband, a partner, someone she's one with. I I just want to say this. Have as many girlfriends as you want, but if they are your source of pouring out your heart, that's a marriage problem. You're not one with them. God didn't knit them to your heart. He gave you a spouse. And if you can't communicate as a man, your wife is going to be forced to find somewhere to do it. And it will never be good enough. It will never meet her needs and she'll never be satisfied with it. And sooner or later, those pouring out your heart conversations are going to turn to how dissatisfied I am with my husband. That's going to happen. And it's going to be a big part of your fault. If you don't communicate, your marriage is going to fail. Not if, when. It's going to. If you're having trouble communicating, this is what I offer to you. Pick a day. Write it down. Pray about it. Get rid of the petty stuff and deal with it issue by issue. And when it's done, pray again. Express your love and make another date and do it again. And if you'll commit yourself to doing that, at the very least, you'll learn how to communicate. And every area of your life will be better. When things are tough, you'll handle them better. When things are difficult, you'll do it together. When someone's emotional, you'll be better able to understand them because you've sat down without pressure and you've talked about things and you've tried to understand each other. That will help you in every area of your life. The, the money, the sex, the kids, the, the how I, how, what I expect from you, the, all those things that are so difficult to talk about, my sister, my mother, my brother, make a date, write them down and, and talk about them. You know, maybe today you're, you're loving each other. You're laughing. You're having bananas and grapes. Maybe today's the day. Go, go to lunch, go to lunch and say, honey, what's the thing that you have the hardest time talking to me about? I I may not understand, but I want to understand. I want to communicate. I, I believe what he said that our marriage is going to fail if we don't. And I don't want our marriage to fail. I love you. I want to build you up. I want to be who you need me to be. 
and I'm going to try to understand. I'm going to try not to get defensive. I'm going to try not to blame everything on you. What, what, what's the thing that you want to tell me that you, that you can't? And then you say, what's the thing that you want to tell me that you feel like you can't? And just calmly, from a place of love, talk about it. And, and that is the first building block of you being able to communicate. It's not getting better if you don't do it. But if you do it, it will get better. I, I promise you that. Father, I come to you and I just lift up these, Lord. I just ask that you would, that you would bless and touch their marriages, Jesus. Lord, I know that while you have such an amazing plan for them, that the enemy has such a horrible plan, Lord. That he wants to drive a wedge, that he wants to move them apart, that he wants to make them uptight and anxious and angry and, and reactionary. And, and Lord, I pray today that every couple that needs to, Lord, and I pray that every couple that doesn't think they need to, Lord, would find a way to communicate like this. To just say, honey, what? What's hard for you to say to me? I want to understand you. I want to help you. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better wife. Jesus, I know that you honor that. And I pray that you'd honor it in our marriages. And I pray it, Lord, in your name. Amen.